Hey, Matthew 21, 1 through 17, and the title of the sermon is King. title of the sermon is King. If you're visiting with us and don't have a Bible that is all good, just Google uh, Matthew 21, 1 through 17, ESV for English Standard Version, and follow along today. I'm thankful to be in this passage, and I'm thankful to be uh, uh, before this, this text today, where we're going to see a lot of amazing things about our Lord Jesus Christ. So today's passage in God's Word, it feels a little bit like springtime, kind of like the weather outside, like this is North Carolina, right? North Carolina's doing North Carolina things, 75 outside right now, right? So this is the Palm Sunday passage, and it marks Jesus's entry into Jerusalem for his final week here. And if you do a little bit of math on the number of verses in the Gospel of Matthew, you recognize that the last quarter of the Gospel of Matthew is one week's time. So we've done three and a half years, three quarters of Matthew is three and a half years of Jesus' time here on this earth, and the last quarter of the Gospel of Matthew is one week. So what does that mean? It means it's kind of important, right? It's important. And so this is the beginning of that week. And we're so thankful for what Jesus did for us and how all of this begins. And we learn a lot about our Savior. So he is ascending into uh, Jerusalem. He's ascending the hill into the city of Jerusalem. And we see really clearly this morning in this passage that Jesus is king. All right, so big idea for all of us. And I, I want us to be firm on this. I want us to be committed to this as believers, as a church family together. Big idea is we praise Jesus who is our king. Amen? We praise Jesus who is our king. And if you're here today and you're just unsure of that, like, is he my king? Is he the king? Do we praise him? Do I praise him? I I pray that all of those questions are put to rest today because we recognize he is our king and we praise him as our king. And uh, y'all, listen, I'm excited um, always, you know, uh, to be up here and to be able to preach God's word. And I'm really excited today because this is a showcase of Jesus's character. These are some of my favorite passages to preach because his character just jumps off the page. I think it's exactly how the Holy Spirit of God inspired Matthew to write this passage. We just see his character. So we'll see um, seven things about the Lord through this passage. And the first one is just that, that Jesus is Lord. Point one is Lord from verses one through three. The character of Jesus, attributes of Jesus as we see Jesus ascending the hill into Jerusalem. So here's verses one through three. It says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem, they means Jesus, the disciples, probably not just the 12, but beyond. They came to Bethphage and the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. All right, so the Lord Jesus just ordained that this donkey and colt would be ready. So in this passage, right off the bat, we see that Lord Jesus is Lord. And I want to give you three things in just a second toward that, but Jesus even equips the disciples with the Lord has need of them. He's identifying himself as Lord. Do you see that here in this passage? He's identifying himself as Lord. And I just imagine the disciples in this moment, right? They're going up into Jerusalem. This is Passover week. They've done this, 
you know, years and years, for sure since they were, since they were young, and here they go, they're, they're used to this, but it's different this time. They're with Jesus, and Jesus gives this very specific instruction to the two disciples, and I imagine them being like, okay, right? like this is really specific, Lord, you, you know where a donkey is, and you want us to go get that donkey and bring that donkey back to you, but... If the person isn't like making it happen, we can just say to that person, the Lord has need of the donkey and then you'll just give the donkey. And so like, this is kind of a wild instruction, agree? And uh, that in so many ways is what discipleship is. We're getting to know Jesus. We're learning to follow him. And some things come across a little strange at first. And then we just nod our heads and say, whatever you say, Lord, I'm gonna, I'm gonna align my life to your word and to your instruction. That's what being a disciple of Jesus is. So, so the disciples are thinking this is really specific and as we read, we see that Jesus is Lord because of three things. Number one, he is sovereign. Jesus is sovereign. The Lord is sovereign. He ordains this. There's a donkey in a specific place. He knows what's up. He places that. Secondly, we know he's Lord because he's all-knowing. Jesus knew the location of this donkey. And third, he's Lord because he's going public. He's going public and saying the Lord has need of this donkey, right? Remember, so many times in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus would heal someone and say, go and sin no more and tell no one. And you're like, why wouldn't the Lord want to be known? Why wouldn't the Lord? And it's because he was going to be crucified at a very specific time. And he knew that the more public it got that he's Lord and Savior, the more opposition there would be, but now he's going public. So we see really clearly he's Lord. He's identifying himself with Lord. We're seeing his character. He's got to be Lord because of the things that he's instructing his disciples to do, the things that he knew, the, the things he was making happen. And so y'all, another thing, we can make some transportation arrangements ourselves, right? Like we're traveling and we can book a flight to a destination and we can, we can, rent a rental car. We can, we can book a rental car. But only the Lord can, from a distance, set the vehicle that he created in a certain place, in a certain location for his divine purpose, right? Only the Lord can do that. And we see that happening right here. Jesus is Lord, all right? Next, Jesus is king. Jesus is king. From verses 4 through 5a, Jesus is king. His character on display, his attributes on display, Verse four says, this took place to fulfill what, this, what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. Your king is coming to you. So what does this mean? Say to the daughter of Zion means, it means proclaim this hope to the people of God. Proclaim this hope to the people of God. And what's happening here is the prophet who said this 500 years prior was the prophet Zechariah. And this verse about the donkey is from Zechariah 9.9. So this phrase, behold, your king is coming to you, means, it means look alive. It means look alive. Your king, which y'all just think about those two words together. Your king. The word your is personal. It's for you. It's for us. And then the word king identifies who Jesus is. Your king. It's personal. And we think that's our leader. And then the next phrase is coming. 
your king is coming. So that was true that day. Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, eternal, uncreated, has come out of heaven onto this earth. And then he's coming into Jerusalem. And this announcement is being made. He's coming. Your king is coming. And he's now in Jerusalem. And then it says very emphatically to you, your king is coming to you. And at the front of that, behold, meaning pay attention, see this, see that your king is coming to you. The intentionality of this moment and the love of God in this moment. Jesus Christ was entering Jerusalem to save us from the penalty of our sins. And that scene then that we're reading about right now that Zechariah prophesied 500 years prior was happening. It was happening. And for us, we look back and we say that has happened. Jesus has done this. So y'all, just to relate a little bit with this passage. The people then, and us now, and the people way, way back, like if you're reading the Bible reading plan, we think of Second Kings, like this morning was Second Kings 19, and we're reading all of these, like in the Second Kings teens, we're reading, there's this new king, and he did what was wicked in the sight of the Lord. Or we read the good ones, and it says, there was this king, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but nevertheless, he didn't take down these idols. And we read this, and we're just thinking like, this pattern of bad leadership is so exhausting. And we're all familiar with the common understanding that earthly kings leave a lot to be desired. Amen? Earthly kings leave a lot to be desired. Happy midterms week, right? <laughs> we realize in this moment, all of these people that are, that are about to line the streets, they're seeing the king of kings and the Lord of lords. They're seeing the only king who can save the people on this planet from the penalty of their sins before the holy God. They're seeing the king who has come out of heaven and into this city for the people. And they're realizing no earthly king can deliver our souls from sin's penalty and ultimately fix all of our brokenness. And we realize the same thing. Jesus is the heavenly king who came to earth to deliver us back to God. That is Jesus. Jesus is Lord and Jesus is king. Next, we see Jesus is humble. From verse 5b, Jesus is humble. So look at this. It says, Jesus came, and he's humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So maybe, maybe you're thinking, why a donkey? Right? Like, why, why a donkey? Like, is Jesus' favorite movie Shrek? Like, what's, what's up with this? Why a donkey? Was Jesus saying, like, in the morning, I'm making waffles, right? Like, was Jesus, what, what's going on here in this moment? Why a donkey? Why a donkey? Well, kings rode donkeys as a picture of peace. And kings rode horses as a picture of war and of power. And when Jesus returns, his second coming, he's going to be riding on what? A horse. And when he returns, his second coming, he's going to usher all who are saved into heaven eternal. And he's going to triumphantly throw Satan in the lake of fire. Can't wait, right? Can't wait. That is coming. He's on a horse. This, Matthew 21, is his first coming. 
And Jesus had to come and become the payment of peace between us and God. Why? Because of our sin. Because of our sin before a holy God. Church, it was Passover week in Matthew 21, the beginning of Passover week. A million plus were crammed into Jerusalem to remember God delivering his people from slavery in Egypt, the Exodus. And the eternal God, the Lord, the King Jesus, was about to deliver them and us from slavery to sin. So here he is, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, humble. The king who cares, the king who comes. And so we've seen so far, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is king, Jesus is humble. And then what happens is this this passage opens up. And what happens in this passage next is we see this refrain that Jesus is worthy of all praise. And that's the next point from verses 6 through 11. Jesus is worthy of all praise. So we've seen who he is and and then we celebrate and we praise him. And so point four is worthy of all praise from verses 6 through 11. It says the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and they put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Verse 6 through 11. This worthy of all praise. That's who Jesus is. That's his attribute. So this word here in this passage is Hosanna. And that word means save us. But it means save us, like with an exclamation mark. It means save us with an exclamation mark. Like, like Hosanna is the joining of two thoughts. One thought is we are sinners and need a savior and we are looking for him and joined with Jesus is the Lord and King who is the savior. And so when you combine those two things, you cry out, Hosanna, save us, wicked sinners, save us. Hosanna, save us. It combines our need and our recognition of Jesus' power to save, right? You don't yell Hosanna when you have a flesh wound, right? Right? You yell Hosanna when you recognize that you are dead in your sins and that Jesus is the Savior and King. And that is exactly what people were singing and yelling and screaming to the Lord that day as he entered Jerusalem. Y'all, Jesus isn't just worthy of praise. He is worthy of all praise. Notice what the people are doing in this passage. They're, they're throwing their cloaks on the ground before Jesus riding in on this donkey. They're throwing their cloaks on the donkey's back so that Jesus can ride there. They're cutting down palm branches and laying them on the ground. So why? What, what, is, what is happening here? You know, their cloaks, that was their warmth. Cloaks were personalized to everyone, right? Like on those cloaks were, you know, the patches of all the national parks that they'd been to. It was like personalized. They're throwing these things down before their Lord. They're like, my best thing, my warmth during the day, my blanket at night, Lord, it's yours. 
My most important possession, my most personal possession, it's yours, Lord. You are worthy of all praise. They're cutting palm branches off of the palm trees. Why? That's a sign of peace. They're saying, Lord, we see your peace. We see what you're doing here. And so we add that peace, a sign of that peace that we're recognizing and welcoming. And so we see your peace and we ask for peace. He's worthy of all praise. He's worthy of all things to be laid before his feet. So some questions to you. Is Jesus worthy of your praise? Is Jesus worthy of your praise? And is he worthy? And is he getting all your praise? Is he worthy of your praise? And is he worthy of all praise? Right, the all praise that includes him as your savior. The all praise that includes casting your crowns before him. The all praise the kind of praise where you intentionally line up to praise him yourself and you intentionally line up to praise him with others just like what's happening in this scene today. The kind of all praise that calls him by name. The kind of all praise that calls him Hosanna because you recognize you're a sinner and he can save you and so you say, save me. And the kind that recognizes you're a sinner and everyone around you is a sinner so you say, save us. It's the prayer of your life. Save us, Hosanna, save us. The kind of all praise that calls him Jesus, which means Savior. The kind of all praise that, that calls him prophet, just like the people here are saying. Prophesied from the Old Testament, everything is happening just like it was prophesied that it would. This is who he is. Jesus is worthy of all praise. Next, we see Jesus is lion and lamb from verses 12 through 13. Back to his character We just saw the refrain of him being worshiped because of his character, and now we're back into his character, the lion and the lamb, verses 12 through 13. It says, and Jesus entered the temple. Awesome. Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, just entered the temple, and the first thing he did, he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. So what did y'all think Jesus would do first when he entered the temple? (laughs) Probably not this, right? Maybe stand up and be like, I'm here, I'm the Lord, introduce himself, read some scripture. Instead, Jesus flips tables in righteous anger, zealous for the Lord and his glory and his worship in the temple, angry that people have limited access to easy worship of the Lord. And this was righteous anger, wasn't it? Do you all agree? Was Jesus' anger righteous? So righteous anger exists and Jesus does it. Just be sure that you never use Jesus' righteous anger to justify your own sinful anger, okay? Like Jesus was angry once, so I'm gonna be angry. No, that's not okay. This is righteous anger. Rather than taking others to God, what was happening is they were taking advantage of others here in the temple. So So people are coming and they want to worship and a poor person's worship before the Lord so that they could could just have a sacrifice before the Lord, recognizing that they're sinners and that they need forgiveness before God for their sin. That sacrifice would be a pigeon. That was the poor person's sacrifice. And so they could come and they could purchase an affordable pigeon and sacrifice that before the Lord to honor the Lord, to signify their, their need for forgiveness. But what's happening is those pigeons were now really expensive. 
and they'd replace prayer stations with payment stations and people couldn't worship the Lord freely. I think of how multiple times in the Gospel of Matthew in these last few chapters, Jesus is like, do not hinder them. And so here people are being hindered from worship to the Lord and this is the the outer courts of the temple. This is where the Gentiles would come in and they can worship. This isn't just Jews, this is Jews and Gentiles and God wants everyone to be able to worship him and Jesus is not okay that people don't have this easy come to the Lord and worship through the means that the Lord has created. So what does Jesus do? He roars. The lion is on the scene and he roars and he flips tables and he's like, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Lion, Jesus roars. And those merchants were thinking, who does this guy think he is? Like they, they had taken over the temple. They were ruling the temple. It was no longer about worship anymore. It was about economics. It was about money-making Who does this guy think he is? But Jesus knew who he was, and the disciples knew who he was, and Jesus is helping us to know who he is in this passage. And y'all hear this. Not only was Jesus the lion there in the temple that day, clearing out what was in the way for people to be forgiven their sins, Jesus was there that day to sacrifice himself as the way that people are forgiven their sins. Jesus, the lamb in the temple that day. Y'all, Jesus drove out all the money changers, all the merchants, all those pigeons, all those doves, all those goats, all those sheep, all those bulls, all those rams, all of those were gone now. And who is in the temple now? Who is there in the temple now as the sacrifice for forgiveness of sins? It's Jesus. So in that one moment, Jesus goes in, lion, zealous for the worship of the Lord, zealous that people can come to the Lord and have forgiveness of their sins. He rushes off everything else, and the only thing that remains there is him, the lion and the lamb in the temple, clearly who Jesus is, clearly for us to see, our strong leader who is humble, our king who is Lord, who is offering himself as the lamb just in a matter of days standing in the temple of God, fulfilling the Old Testament right there for us. So God's wrath could pass over you after you've placed your faith on Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus is the lion and the lamb. Next, Jesus is compassionate from verse 14. You all this is so dear to me. The flow of this passage, I think, is really surprising to us. We would expect Jesus to do a certain thing when he enters the temple. And then you expect Jesus to do a certain thing after he shows himself as the lion and the lamb. And there's 14, this verse 14, which is so stunning and so wonderful about the compassion of our Lord. It says, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. after all the the riffraff had realized that Jesus rules the roost now, Jesus planted his feet and people, some of the million plus who had come to worship God, they got a really special treat. God was there in the flesh and Jesus healed them. What did Jesus do right after? 
he ascends into Jerusalem. Right after people are recognizing he's Lord and he's king and he's the humble one that's predicted that would come in on a donkey, all of people are putting this together. They're, they're shouting, Hosanna. What's the first thing he does after he flips the tables? He plants his feet in the temple and he instructs his, instructs his disciples to make a line and he spends some time healing those who were blind and had diseases and needed help. That's our Lord. He's allowing people to come to him while he's in the temple as the lion and the lamb. And I just pray that that picture of who he is and his compassion sticks with you. What stuns me about this, about Jesus Christ, is think about all that was on his mind, right? So just like, if there's something big on my mind that's going on in our family, it, it's difficult for me to like do this, to preach, because it's in the back of my mind. And it's difficult for you, and you got something big going on in your life to do the normal things that you gotta do because there's something looming large, right? Like there's a, there's a bigger thing than the big things that you do. And so think about what is on Jesus' mind here in this passage. What's on his mind is the crucifixion in a matter of days. He knows he's going to be crucified. He just announced himself as Lord. And what's in his emotions? Well, adrenaline is still pumping through his veins. He just flipped tables. He just ran off all these people, all these angry merchants and money changers who probably wanted to fight him were like, I ain't fighting that guy. Like, does that stand out to y'all? Like nobody tried to fight him? That's how fierce he was. That's how lion he was. Nobody came at Jesus that day. The temple's clear. The other sacrifices are clear. Emotions. And think about what's on his heart. His very own disciples are about to betray him in a matter of evenings. He knows all this. He's the sovereign Lord. He knows all this. But with all of that on his mind and his emotions and his heart, we see in verse 15 or verse 14, that his time was for people who came. His time was for people who came. And I just pray that really lands with you. God really loves us. God really loves you. This is why Jesus came. He came to not only pay the penalty of our sins so that we could be forgiven and ushered back, into, back to God, he came so that we could, through prayer, come to him for forgiveness and for help and for everything. And you see this, imagine a line in the temple that is just in disarray, but one thing is perfect. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is there and he's healing people. What a beautiful scene of our Lord's character and the way that he loves us. Church, now, right now, right now, today, this very moment, Jesus is exalted. He was crucified, he, raised, he was risen from the dead, and then he ascended on high. And right now, he is seated at the right hand of God. And we, as Hebrews says, we can boldly approach the throne of grace and ask for help in time of need. Why? It's because Jesus loves us. It's the same thing he's doing here in this temple. He loves us. And so I pray that each of us would recognize that in him we have life. He's our temple now. He's our temple now. Why, why is he our temple? What does that mean? It means in him we have life. In him we have forgiveness. In him we have access to the Father. So we come to Jesus with our needs. 
in prayer. And we can do that today because he is exactly today who he is in this passage. But now he's on the throne at the right hand of the Father. I pray you see that. I pray you feel that. Jesus is compassionate. And then this passage closes with these three verses, verses 15 through 17. And we're repeating, we're repeating a point. It's Jesus is worthy of all praise. It's the refrain again. It's the Hosanna again. Jesus is worthy of all praise. And we've seen all these attributes, who he is, his his wonderful, amazing character. And then again, he's worthy of all praise. But it starts with people not praising him. Verses 15 through 17 say this. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the, notice, wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, Jesus went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. So this contrast between indignant adults or religious leaders and kids who love Jesus and get it right, this contrast keeps coming up in the Gospel of Matthew, doesn't it? Kids get it. They take Jesus for who he is. They're like, I love you. I worship you. I place my faith in you. And they get it. And then there's these adults who are indignant. There's religious leaders who don't like that Jesus is taking leadership from them. They don't want to change their lives. They don't want to be transformed by Jesus. And so they're indignant. They don't like the power shift that's occurring here. They're unwilling to scream Hosanna and worship like everyone else is. And so applicationally, just know this. Even in the midst of the clearest moments of God's character, when, when God is literally on the scene, people will hate him. Right here, Jesus is in the temple. People are noticing the wonderful things that he's doing and they still hate him. Just know that. But also know this, in those scenes too are people who love him. Amen? People who love him. And and that's us in this scene today. We love him and we will praise him. Jesus quotes to these religious leaders, these indignant adults, he quotes to them Psalm 8, verse 2. And that praise about Jesus that was prophesied way back then, it just happened in the passage we read. A large percentage of the people there that day, they didn't get it, but those kids got it and they praised Jesus. Y'all, Jesus will get praise. He will get praise that is due his name. He will get it. And we have a choice. Are we gonna give it to him or not? He will get it. And you know, you know that that high-pitched kid praise, Hosanna, was so sweet in Jesus' ears, right? He had just heard like the deep bellowing voices of grown men coming up that, that hill as he's ascending into Jerusalem. Grown women worshiping the Lord. And then in the temple, with all the echoes of these kids' voices, he hears these high-pitched sounds, Hosanna. These kids are worshiping him. He will get praise. From old to young, from healthy to sick, from Jew and Gentile, just like us, he will get praise. Jesus is worthy of praise. Jesus is worthy of all praise. 
So that Palm Sunday was a great day of praise to Jesus. And I want us all to recognize, as we read this passage, we think about who he is and his character. Jesus is today all of what we have just seen in this passage. He is today all of what we have just seen in his passage. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. All of these characteristics of Jesus are the same. And so we read this and we think this is a moment where he's putting all of that on display so that we can behold it and so that we can apply it. So I wanna ask you two questions as we close. How does this passage inform you about who Jesus really is? How does this passage inform you about who Jesus really is? There are so many intentional, specific things inspired by the Spirit of God so that we can pull them off the page and apply them into our minds and into our hearts and into our souls and our wills and our lives. And so what in this passage informs you about who Jesus really is? Maybe it's more personal now. Maybe it's more mentally informed so that you can think about him better and apply his attributes to your everyday. What is it for you? Maybe it's just a desire. I want to praise him. I want to praise him with everything I got. I want to give him all praise. I want to give him my cloak. I want to give him my best thing, my most personal thing. Whatever it is, Lord, you are king. What is that for you? How does this passage inform you? How does this passage change you? And then the second question, does Jesus need to clear anything from your life that you think saves you other than him? Does he need to flip any tables? Does he need to flip any tables in you? And and if he does, let him. If there's something you think that you gotta do or you gotta be or you gotta have in order to please God and have approval before God for your own conversion or your own salvation, let him flip that table because the only thing that you need for access to God is Jesus Christ. That's it. And just let him flip all the other stuff. Let him change you. Let him transform you deep down. Let him do it. Let him do it. He alone is our temple. He alone fulfills all of that for us. So let Jesus be the King of kings and the Lord of lords for you, your compassionate, wonderful, humble King who's the lion and the lamb. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for coming out of heaven Jesus, you were eternal, you were uncreated, you came out of heaven willingly, you humbled yourself to become a man, the God-man, 100%, 100% God, 100% man, 100% God. And you humbled yourself even to the point of a cross. And on your way to the cross, you ascended the hill into Jerusalem and you put your glory, your character, your attributes on display so that we can see them. You fulfilled so many things that are written in the Old Testament. Just so clear, this is him. This is the promised one. This is the anointed one. And it's you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that we have placed our faith in you. We thank you that we have forgiveness in you. And God, I pray for anyone here today or watching today that does not have forgiveness through you, that they will now in this moment, they confess their sin before you, recognizing that you're Lord, that you're King, that you're humble, that you're compassionate. They can bring their sin to you and that you paid the penalty of their sin on the cross. You buried it, and then you rose, proving your victory over the penalty of your sin and and then giving them new life, reborn to live for you and your glory in this world. God, we praise you for who you are. Jesus, we love who you are. 
It is so invigorating to think of you as the lion and the lamb simultaneously at the same moment as our temple and all that is for us. You're our leader, you're our king, you're our Lord, but you're the lamb, you are humble, you are compassionate. You are the ultimate servant leader. And so God, we put all of our attention on you. We put all of our love, all of our praise on you. You are worthy, Lord Jesus, and we give you the praise that is due your name, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.